You are listening to the Tour des Flâneurs, the cycling podcast at the 2021 Tour de France, powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Stage 20, today we're in Saint-Emilion. Hello, my name is Richard Moore. I'm with Francois Tomazo. Hi there. And Mitch Docker. G'day, guys. G'day, Mitch. And Francois, we are here still in Saint-Emilion in wine country, but um, we find ourselves almost drowning in beer as well, and we'll get we'll get to that a bit later on. Not quite literally, um, but um, that doesn't. If it's from <laughs> Mitch, is a bit giddy already. Mitch, it's just so beautiful. <laughs> You're happy. Beautiful things happen today. Yeah, we've got too much beer. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um, anyway, we'll get onto that. There's quite a story behind that. Anyway, um, today's stage, the wine, the wine trial, uh, the time trial stage. We're going to hear from wine fan Luke Durbridge a, a little bit later on. We're going to hear from some other writers as well. Um, it wasn't quite the stage that we had last year. Um, the penultimate stage of last year's Tour de France, the time trial to La Ponce de Belfi, uh, the incredible turnaround, of course. Roglic looking like he was going to win the Tour de France. Tani Pogacar. Uh, turning things round, and now today he woke up. Really, all he had to do was was get round safely. Really, and he was going to win. Is going to win his second Tour de France. And the question, I suppose, we're going to be asking tonight and tomorrow is: Are we now in the Pogacar era? Is this the Pog era? We're going to hear from a couple of writers on that a bit later on. But it was a uh, the, the the interest in today's time trial was really um, added by the imminence of the Olympic Games in Tokyo, I think. And when we spoke to Wout van Aert on the first rest day, he said, you know, that he was going to finish the tour and that this was a major focus for him because it was a, a dress rehearsal for the Olympic Games. And judging by his promise that he won the, the time trial by 21 seconds ahead of Casper Askreen, who also put in a great performance, van Aert, showed today that he might be the favourite for the gold medal in Tokyo. Is that fair? I think so. And I think it was very important, like you said, for him to go into Tokyo with the confidence. Um, you saw he left it all out there. We were right on the finish line in the, the mix zone there where he came past, still holding the speed from the time trial, which was probably 300 metres after the line, flipped around. And then as he got to his swanier, Pretty much, he didn't, he didn't seem to hear you shouting, "Wow, wow, quick! <laughs> yeah. Time for a quick word." Quick interview. He did come back. No, <laughs> he didn't come back to me. He came back to his swanier where he collapsed over the bars, um, got a bottle, poured it over his head. It's that scene you often see on the TV of guys who give their all. They need the bottle right then. They're in that moment of, I can imagine it myself, coming five k from the line. You just thinking I can just do it, I can get there. And he, you could see he emptied the tank, absolutely everything. So that was really interesting. I know it's an obvious thing to say that, you know, they emptied the tank to win the race, but it really was interesting to see after the line that a guy like that had to commit so, so much um, to get that victory today, which is very important not only for the Tour de France, but also I think going ahead for the, the Olympics just around the corner. Quite a contrast to last year for him as well. I remember the famous picture of him and Tom Demula standing, arms crossed as they watched in disbelief as uh, Roglic kind of lost the Tour de France before their eyes. And and those two as well, both great time trialists, were pretty surprised to be beaten by so much by Pogacar on 
the day. Um, yeah, it was quite striking, quite shocking almost to see the state that Van Aert was in um, as he came to a, a halt. Um, the heat was obviously a factor today, but he really did empty himself. And uh, yeah, he was in quite a state beyond the finish well, line. Th- think about his Tour de France. I mean, he won the the, the, the Ventoux stage with two climbs of Ventoux. The climb, he said he discovered that 11, you know, climbing with his father, uh, in that area, he, he came second in the burn sprint and wins the and wins the final time trial. I mean, what 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 you know? What better can you do except winning the tour? I mean, it was an, a, an exceptional performance. S- same for Casper Asgreen. I mean, you know, second he was there every day. Uh, uh, you know, leading the, well, not lead. Yes, kind of leading the first part of the of the Cavendish train. He went into breakaways and he's still you know strong enough at the finish of at the end of the tour to to produce the performance he did because finishing twenty one second. Ben Van Arte was was amazing, and 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 uh, well, same about Jonas Vingegaard. But we'll talk about it a little bit later. But no, I mean, you know, uh, Van Aert had an absolutely ex- exceptional Tour de France. We wondered if it would be a day for the time trial specialists. You said last night, Mitch, that uh, they, you know, the, the Stefan Kuhn that we saw today might be very different to the Stefan Kuhn that we saw on stage five in the time trial. You spoke to him at the finish. We'll hear it from him a bit later on, but. Um, he, he managed a respectable fourth on the day. Your teammate Stefan Bissinger was fifth, another specialist. Tanay Pogacar, only eighth on the day. Um, you didn't feel that he was getting it all out there. I think it was important for him to just get through the stage safely. And he finished 57 seconds down on Wat van Aert. Vingegaard, definitely worth uh, a mention again. You know, rode a really good time trial um, on stage five um, all that time ago. And again, today third. You know, he's really impressive because... He's so slight to look at him. It's almost incredible. We we rode the time trial this morning. Do you want me? Well, I just checked to see if we beat any of the, <laughs> the riders. Did you press lap when we went across the line? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I had a, a sense of our average speed. Esteban Chavez last on the day. That's maybe why he didn't look particularly happy. Um, but Chavez, if you're listening, some consolation um, that you went you went faster than we did on the time trial course. But we felt riding it that it was it was a kind of specialist course, wasn't it? It, it did feel pretty fast. Well, it felt quite fast on your wheel. It did, yes. The road surface was amazing. Um, one thing I noticed was a lot of roads have been retarded. But um, it, was, it, it wasn't hilly, but there were quite a lot of gradual sort of drags. It was a strong man's course, like a specialist. And then... It was a beautiful course, actually. It was a really beautiful region, and it was one of the one of the most, if not the best, wine region I've ever ridden through. Very lovely roads, and I was so surprised this morning. I was out a little bit earlier than you, at seven a.m. this morning, that the the course was set up already with people, ready as if the race was coming in one hour's time at seven a.m. I could not believe it. They've been there for days. We got we got clapped and cheered around, didn't we? It was amazing, and I was thinking, imagine what this is going to be like as you're racing it. And I tried to ask a few guys like that, how was it? Was it awesome? I felt like it was going to be awesome out there, but I think it was just probably a little bit too soon after the finish to really have that feeling. Maybe on the bus now they're thinking that was awesome. Well, Wat van Aert, the winner of the stage, Casper Askreen second, Jonas. Vingegaard completing his really great Tour de France um, to cement his place in third overall. The cycling podcast at the 2021 Tour de France, powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. 
optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insight, and personalized analytics. We are here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. My name is Kevin Sprouse. I'm a sports medicine physician, head of medicine for EF Nippo Pro Cycling. One of my other positions is I'm a scientific advisor for Super Sapiens. Currently, professional riders are using this type of technology to test out various strategies around fueling. And when I say fueling, I mean, it's what you eat on the bike. It's what you eat to recover. It's how you set yourself up overnight to perform well at the next effort. And a lot of that has previously been based on feeling, has been based on generic science, which is certainly usable, but it's kind of what's best for the middle of the bell curve. And this allows some individualization of that. And so what you see riders doing now is testing different strategies. You know, what fuel on the bike works for them? What timing works best? Uh, how do they set themselves up for a TT or a climb so that they're optimally fueled when they get there? This is a technology that I think we will see with greater and greater frequency, both in the pro peloton and then as you step down through the various professional ranks and even even the recreational ranks. I've got many of my recreational uh, athlete patients using this. And for the same reasons, to look at those parts of our metabolism and our fueling that we just couldn't see before. Well, as Mitch's team doctor, Dr. Kevin Sprouser, telling us a little bit about Super Sapiens. And thank you very much indeed to them. They are our title sponsors. They help us uh, to be here covering the Tour de France with our nightly episodes. And uh, we're very, very grateful indeed to them for their support. Um, you can still enter our competition with Super Sapiens to win three months worth of uh, sensors to wear on your upper arm uh, to track your blood glucose levels. You can uh, do that on an app on your phone. If you go to thecyclingpodcast.com, you will uh, find out how to submit an audio clip and tell us how and why you would use Super Sapiens to help you achieve your goals. Charlie, yeah. you um, you got in touch with us after hearing last night's podcast. Absolutely. Tell us who you are and where you live. Okay, my name's Charles Tyler. I'm uh, living in Bordeaux. And, uh, yeah, I was listening to the podcast and pulling my hair out this morning going, mate, there, there is good beer in Bordeaux. Pascal, last, exactly. Last so, night, yeah, Mitch was bemoaning the fact that he was yeah. surrounded by yeah. vines and vineyards. Yeah. vineyards. Where's the hops and, you know, the, the breweries? So this is made in Bordeaux and Le Busca, which is just in the, uh, in the conurbation of Bordeaux. And uh, you got three different types of beer. So you went out and you you I bought you bought them. us some some beer, yep. um, and got on your motorbike yep. and rode over here just to bring us exactly. the beer in a cool box in, in, a a, cool in box. an esky, oh, as exactly. Mitch would say. And um, and the bloke when I bought it, he threw that in as well, which is another winery I have. And, and one and one of them is called Mascaret, which is the word which was the word of the day yesterday. Oh yeah, meaning exactly. Tidal wine, yeah, yeah. You know? exactly. I'll print it out. I'll print that out a sheet. I'll warn you about that. If you want to, if you want to come across like you know what you're talking about, that's you know you can read a bit of that and then and then ad lib. Charlie, Charles, Charles, unbelievably kind of you. We're very very appreciative, and it's all very cold and nice. It's cold. Just beware. It's been an hour on the back of a motorcycle. And one of them oh fell out of the fridge when I was putting it in the bag, and I'm not going to tell you which one. So just, you know, keep your trousers keep away be a nice surprise when we open it. it. <laughs> exactly. And uh, there you go. Well, I hope you enjoy, because it's been a beautiful, we will enjoy. beautiful experience. I hope you managed to see a bit of the race. Yeah, yeah. I saw yesterday. 
Mm. I, was, I was I was at kilometer 34 just on the edge of the bend in an orange shirt if you want to look for that <laughs> and then today i think you saw the winner today Watt Van Aert. Yeah, yeah yeah i saw the first uh, 20ks i think and uh, and then i got on my bike that's amazing the listeners to the second podcast come up trumps once again yeah. Yeah. it's been an amazing tour for that we've had a lot of we've met a lot of friends of the podcast and um, they've they've really looked after us so we're very appreciative yeah. thank well, you well your family you know your family because you know i sleep with you more than uh, Many other people. Okay, that's enough. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you Thank, can... <laughs> that, uh, it's very kind of you. Thank you very much. We'll enjoy, yeah. w- would you enjoy one with us before you have to leave? Well, if 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 you want, you know, you've just finished twist to arm. twist my arm. You know, I've got a slight sweat on, but you know, you've had a hard day. I don't know whether you want to just do other things first. You know, yeah, no, come sit, come sit yeah? with us. And yeah. Okay, Thank brilliant. you very much. Thank you. Well, what on earth was that all about, Mitch? It was amazing. Asking you shall receive. I don't even know if we asked. But not directly. No. Indirectly. <laughs> Charlie, he went out on a limb and he messaged us and said, Hey guys, look, I live close by, you know, as he said. And he he just appeared with these beers on his motorbike. Our very own Moto Man. Moto Man, he was there. What time do you need it? I'll have the Esky ready. And then he produced the goods. And so he's presented us with some fantastic beers tonight. And he's opened my eyes to the craft beer scene in the Bordeaux region. Um, and actually, he presented me with some notes. He didn't know that I didn't speak French. So what I've done is we've drunk these beers. We're drinking them now. And I'm going to get Francois to help me read through these notes. Because mm. actually, he presented us with two different brands. The the, the main one he, uh, in, he introduced was is called Mascaret. And Mascaret is the is the, the name. Is the, it was the word of the day yesterday, you know, uh, the tidal wave. And so obviously the uh, 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 you know the beer has been named after this this tidal wave. Charlie pointed out that there are two main tidal waves a year because there are two equinoxes. It's true, but uh, I mean usually you know when the, there's the Mascaret festival in Libourne it, is mainly the one in spring because the weather is better. But anyway, yeah. So the the the, the beer uh, brands called Mascaret, and they've, they've got. Well, nine special beers they say, uh, um, and actually they, they, they have, a, they have a, 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 an organic blonde beer. Uh, they're called Grand Cru. Like, like Grand Cru is usually for wines, but they, they call it Grand Cru because of obviously they're in the wine region, but they, they do excellent beers. And these Grand Cru uh, uh, beer was awarded in 2019, oddly enough, uh, the gold medal as the best Belgian blonde beer of the year. Oh, come on. I don't know. How well, could that be possible? Well, I don't know. Maybe it's the, uh, it's the you know, I don't know what the category, why it's categorized as a Belgian blonde beer. Can't be better than a Norval. That's got to get gold medal. Well, That's well, a true Belgian. In, in, in 2019, you know, I, mean, I mean, guys, uh, you know, wh- whatever, wherever he was, I decided that this was the best, the best in the world, in the world, the best Belgian blonde beer in the world at that uh, moment. Why Belgian? I don't know, but th- there you are. I mean, that's that's. Uh, Come so, on, Mitch, don't get upset. <laughs> so, so, anyways, uh, like most of the craft beers we've been talking about, it seems to be the the trend, you know, in French craft beers. They've got an IPA, they've got a blonde one, they've got an amber, an ambre, kind of pale ale, you know, and they've got a. Uh, and I've got obviously, of course, laggers. Uh, the, this one, you know, the blonde one, and 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 so they have, they also have another one, a blonde, 
uh, another blonde one, another lager called Coef 119. And why Coef 119? Because it was the coefficient of the tide of 2015, which was apparently the, a record, an exceptional tide. And, and, and the Coef 119, I mean, you, if you're an expert in tides, apparently it's very high. There you are. And what what do we think? I actually I drank the amber. It was a beautiful beer. It actually was a bit more bitter than the last few nights, which yeah. I prefer. Um, a little bit more bite to it, a bit more substance. I loved it. I, I find it a little bit actually uh, the the one where yesterday I found uh, more to my taste. This one I'm, I've, I've tasted the the white one is a little bit too bitter for me. But yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, good stuff. I had the lager, and uh, it won't surprise listeners to the podcast um, to learn I thought it was very nice <laughs> and we've had to push ourselves tonight because we've actually had to have a second beer and I'll just run through this quickly our host here was after his disgustment last night being disgusted about me asking about beer in the wine region went upon himself and searched out a craft beer for me and I was honoured Tor he went across and he's found a beer from the left bank the Madoc mm-hmm. region And this little brewery is called um, Nowera. Nowera, which means new, discovering. And they produce a beautiful organic beer on the left bank. Um, and we're also drinking a little less notes than Francois. That's probably about the end of the notes. But I'm drinking a pale ale. Um, what are you drinking, Francois? You've got, I've the, got, I've got the white. You've got a white, of course. I've got the, the blonde. Um, I actually prefer it. The one we had earlier from Charlie. That's fine. That's all, you know, it's all individual. Mm, yeah. don't want, I don't want Torta here. Yeah, no, I've preferred uh, Charlie one as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's all beer to me. <laughs> But no, it's great. Look, it, I'm, I'm loving the, you know, the competition. Um, and, you know, I think this is probably, you know, this, this podcast could really merge into just, you know, the beer podcast. I think it has. <laughs> 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 right. Back to the racing. Mark Cavendish. The man in green. How bright is that stuff? It's so green. It's cool. Mate, best moment of the tour? Uh, yeah, that first win, I think, for me. I know, actually, why well, any team gets a yellow jersey in the tour is it's a big thing. Julian winning that first day in uh, in Brittany, that was that was pretty special, you know. We had the the world champion, Fran Darlan of France, winning the yellow jersey on the first day was 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 pretty cool, you know. Worst moment of the tour. Um, well, there's always I got 19 days without some little social media shit and then it kicked off didn't it so, you know stuff that's just nobody knows the context of stuff like that you know? oh I had a little argument not an argument I had a little, little tantrum and uh, five minutes later it's fine you know what you know you know what you know what Twitter and shit's like so. chimp paradox isn't it isn't it and um, who's the unsung hero of the tour this year What, in my team or generally? And generally. You know, normally it's probably me out there, but I'm not there, so... Um, don't know who to pick from any of my teammates, you know. I have to pick my teammates, they've been outstanding. Morkov, obviously, he's just a god at the lead out, isn't he? Um, Tim DeClerc, he's ridden on the front every day in the mountains, on the flat days, he's crashed, he's... And he's just, he's just hard, you know. And, eh... Uh, Yeah, he's soldiered on, like, you know, he's a legend. All right, mate, in the bus. 
up to Paris tomorrow. Thanks, Mitch. We'll see you. Well, that was Mark Cavendish at the finish of the time trial today. Um, we've been asking lots of questions for their highs, lows, and unsung heroes. Um, and, and Mark volunteered the story. It, it kind of hit social media last night. This clip emerged of him um, expressing his frustration shall I say, uh, towards his mechanic, a problem with his bike before the start of yesterday's stage. And it didn't show him in a great light. It's funny because you could juxtapose it with um, some footage of him embracing Eddie Merckx very warmly at, at the start. There was That kind of came out at the same time. And then it was, it was almost like the two sides of, of, of Cavendish. I mean, I think his mention of it there, um, kind of, he's probably quite embarrassed that that came out and that people saw that um not going to excuse it it wasn't great it wasn't it didn't look great did it but um yeah that his worst moment of the tour was the the social media storm that erupted as a result and look i'm i can actually understand where cav is there you know we've all been there um it's that and i alluded to it in the in the in the interview that the chimp reaction it's that you know some guys, some people can control it. Some people can't. I'm actually a bit closer to Cav on that note, and I've had a, a, a moment like that with a mechanic. With a mechanic, yeah, yeah. out on the road. Um, Craig Geeter, him and I, Rubey, I punctured, um, and I just made this comment. You know, what's going on with these tires? Like it was his fault. You know, it was just an explosion in the moment. I just didn't want to puncture, and it was just it was just that moment. And I can see that's what happened to Cav in that moment. He had probably had nothing to do with the mechanic but it's just something it built up and you just you're really sorry for it afterwards and um it was interesting to see him address it and i i believed him when he when he was feeling bad about that i mean i saw a lot of people on social media sort of uh you know because he, he he then released a kind of statement on instagram um all that matters is that he apologised to the mechanic. He doesn't need to apologise to the rest of the world. It's between him and the mechanic. It just so happens it was captured on film. And to be honest, when you, when what when you see the film of it, or the little we see of it, the mechanic that didn't look too uh, you know cross about it. I mean, it's part of the job. So from time to time, I guess they know that they're in charge of a champion. That the champion has his tempers, and, and uh, you know, obviously, um, Cavendish had, had his tempers at, at that moment. But I, I was, I mean, I, I was. I was watching the film and watching the face of the mechanic and at, at, at no time does it look like really particularly, uh, you know, uh, surprised or surprised, you know? <laughs> no, that, I mean, you know, so, I mean, in, in, I think, you know, they're used in a way to, to, to the, that, that kind of, a, uh, you know, excess of tension. It was at the start of a stage where, you know, he, he might have, in case of, Punch Spritz beaten the unspoken record. I mean, so so there, there was tension in the air, and I, I think it's also part probably of the job of mechanic to keep your cool, whatever happens, because uh, you know then later in the stage, you know something might happen, uh, you know uh, a mechanic, a mechanical or whatever, and, th and then the mechanic has to be, you know, has to forget <laughs> to forget about the grudge he might hold and and intervene. So I, I you know, to me, it. it we know that, and I, I, I said this before, and it was disputed that you know to be a Tour de France winner, you have to be. Uh, what was the word I used? I'm not sure you can use it. Um, <laughs> but 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 have you ever seen it the other way? As a mechanic, have you seen a mechanic lose his cool with a, a rider? I find the mm. relationship between mechanic and rider really quite interesting. The thing is, the thing is with mechanics is they hold the power. At the end of the day, um, look, I'm definitely not at the status of 
Mark Cavendish, and, and I have a different dynamic with the mechanics as as he would. And I think pretty much what he would ask, it would get done. But with my with my situation, it's about about creating that relationship because those guys, like I said, hold the power. They have the they're in the position to make your bike run as best as possible. And ultimately, they have they're short in time, they're under pressure. But if they know that you're appreciative of the work they do, potentially your bike will get serviced with a better eye or you know maybe they get the better wheels in it or who knows what and you need to ask those guys you know for different things under the pressure you might be right on the start line i didn't want those wheels can i get those other wheels in you know if if they're pissed off with you or you're a hard hard person to work with you know it might be just a bit too hard on that moment if you're a good person to work with they'll make it happen Mm. and that is with anything in life i think not just mechanics but you know it's a two-way street they work incredibly hard, don't they, on, on Grand Tours? And, I, I, you know, you see the mechanics that they always... When you're around the buses, you know, you see all the different people who do all the different jobs. And you can almost tell by the body language how under pressure they are, how hard they work. The mechanics are obviously working late into the night, but they never seem to be off, um, you know, other than when the stage is on, unless they're in the team car and they mm. have to be on call. All They sit there in the team car holding a, a wheel and... They're, they could be called in, called into action at any moment, um, sh- but but they always look kind of, you know, stressed and and hardworking. There's a and I'm going to give myself a plug here. Go back and listen to the Life in the Peloton episode that I did with JJ Stein, who's a mechanic on EF, who explains all that. I ask him those questions. What's it like dealing with the prima donnas, the cyclists in Roubaix, people coming up and asking for half a bar less pressure, two you know point two of a bar more. And actually keeping you cool and going, okay, mate, yep, I'll do that. And he explains it so well. He's happy to do that. At the end of the day, happy cyclist, happy life. Shoot, uh, shoot at l'arrière du peloton, cycling podcast, team car, the back of the pack, please. That's uh, PK, voice of Radio Tour at the Tour de France, interrupting our coverage from the Tour de France to remind us to tell you that it is sponsored by ShipStation. Now, the ship station, you can ship more and spend less. If you sell anything online or you have stuff to send out, as we do at the Cycling Podcast, ShipStation could be the answer. It's the number one shipping software for e-commerce sellers with more five-star reviews than anyone. Um, we do, as I said, send a lot of things out. If you become a generous friend of the podcast, we'll send you a casquette or a tea towel or both if you're a very generous friend of the podcast. And Lionel Burney, who manages this process for us and has also over the years sent out lots of books that he's published and written, he has used ShipStation and so I asked him about it. And he said if you do sell online, it's very, very simple. Lionel hooked up his Squarespace website to ShipStation. There was a very easy to follow step-by-step process. Uh, all the couriers were in one place. He didn't have to shop around. ShipStation really laid it on a plate for you to choose your courier. You choose how you want to dispatch your item, print out your labels, stick them on, and voila. Lionel said it really cut down the number of steps that you normally take to organise these things. So, ShipStation comes highly recommended from him. Uh, with ShipStation, small businesses can now access the same rates reserved for Fortune 500 companies without the contracts or commitments. So ship more in less time. Um, we've got a special offer for our listeners of the Cycling Podcast Femina. Cycling is the offer code to get a 60-day free trial. That's two months free of no-hassle, stress-free shipping. Just go to ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, 
type in cycling. That's shipstation, S-H-I-P-S-T-A-T-I-O-N.com and enter the offer code cycling. Make ship happen. What was your best moment in this Tour de France, Julien? Uh, of course, uh, we'll always remember the, the first day, my, uh, my first victory uh, and my only one, but uh, was a really special one. To win on the Tour with the Rainbow jersey uh, after the birth of my son is really something that I, I will never forget. Your worst moment on this Tour de France? Uh, Ting, the, the stage uh, with a really bad weather. Uh, yeah, it was a really, really bad moment. The unsung hero of this tour, le héros méconnu de ce tour. Le héros méconnu, uh, mon soigneur, uh, my soigneur, who, who give me a massage uh, every day and uh, he work hard and uh, yeah, we we never talk about the stuff, but uh, they they really work uh, hard. How many tours do you think Tadej can can win? 25, 26. <laughs> well, it was Julian Philippe, the world champion and teammate of Mark Cavendish. Now, Mark Cavendish nominated Philippe's win as his highlight of the Tour de France, and Philippe didn't nominate Cavendish's stage win, did he? Mm. Um, he but he, as, as Philippe had a good tour, I mean, he's he obviously had that spectacular start. Um, he, well, he, he talked about it. Well, actually, n not in this interview, but he talked about it. Uh, you know, uh, after an interview, he, he was talking to the uh, to French the TV, and 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 obviously there's, there's there's a little feeling of disappointment from the fans because I mean, you know, 2018 won the polka dot, 2019 finished fifth and uh, held the jersey, the yellow jersey for two weeks. Last year, only won a stage as well, but held the yellow jersey for three. Days and and you kind of get blasé that the guy won the first stage uh, El Yellow jersey with the uh, uh, you know world uh, champion jersey on. Well, obviously uh, Mark Cavendish is not so blasé because he, he he said it was a highlight of his Tour de France, whether we believe him or not. But anyway, <laughs> that's that's what he said. Uh, yeah, I, I guess that I mean you know the, the, that's the tour. We, we forget sometimes even when we say the tour has been a little bit boring in in the last week because of Pogacar's domination, we tend to forget that the, the, the first week and the first nine days were, were among the most exciting we've, we, we've ever seen or I've ever seen uh, on, on the Tour de France. And, um, and, and yeah, well, it, you know, you know you, that, that, that was so very exciting, this first day you win. It's, it's, it seems like a long time ago. And he said himself, yeah, you know, I won that stage. I won that stage. I held the yellow jersey. And then we, we as a team, you know, won those many stages, like, you know, his stage wins, the, the, the four Mark Cavendish stage wins. And he said to have been part of, of that team effort and, 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 and what they did was what he thought was a, was a good Tour de France for, for him. And, and most importantly, I think, uh, it, it sometimes affects riders in different ways. But I, I mean, if he looks back, you know, in 10, 20 years time, he's the, the most important thing for him in, in, recent, in the recent past was uh, the, the birth of his son, Nino, you know. So he was born in, in mid-June, so pretty early, well, just before the tour. So, I mean, I, I, I'm sure, you know, whatever, you know, Yellow Jersey is great, stage with the Tour de France is great, but, you know, his first son being born, I think that's, that's what he has in mind now. I think there's. I think even beyond the first nine stages, there hasn't really been a boring stage. I mean, the stages have all been interesting. E you know, e even yesterday, that was a stage that probably most people thought would be pretty formulaic, and it wasn't. Um, because there's so much at stake now that that that, that you know 
the, even the battle for the, the stage win is, is fascinating. And we're going to hear in a moment from Stefan Kuhn, who talks about one day in particular where he had a he was up the road and a chance of winning. He just didn't have the legs. And it's fascinating to hear just how frustrating that was to be in that position. But at the end there, Alaphilippe uh, predicted 25 or 26 wins for today, Pogacar. And we're going to talk about Pogacar a bit because we had an email from Adrian in Hereford. Adrian uh, wrote after stage 18 um, that he felt that there was a lack of recognition of Pogacar's two stage wins in the Pyrenees. It really felt that there was an unwillingness on our part to celebrate Pogacar's double winning performance. His name was conspicuous by its absence. I think during the podcast on stage 18, you mentioned his name just three times. This was little praise. There was little praise. Why is this? Is this because there is disappointment amongst the team that the yellow jersey is practically decided and doesn't deserve the coverage? Or is there a growing feeling amongst the team that that the integrity of Pogacar's achievements is so questionable that to wax lyrical about his performance is just too awkward? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Regarding the second um, point there, I mean, no, um, that's certainly not a factor in us not talking enough, in your view, about Pogacar's winning performances on those two stages. I don't, I don't think there is um, a, a question over Pogacar's integrity. Um, there are there are questions that he can be asked, but I don't think there's um, justified suspicion um, other than his the performances themselves. Um, if that's the the path you want to go down, which I, I personally don't. Um, I think it was just because neither of those wins were particularly surprising. And so when we come to do the podcast in the evening, we're often just, we're led by um, the things that have interested us in the course of the day, that the, the rides, the stories, whatever has happened that's maybe grabbed our interest. And I suppose, well, speaking personally, Pogacar winning those two stages didn't it didn't surprise me at all it just confirmed that he was the best rider in the race and that's probably why we didn't dwell too much on those performances and, and to be honest and that's one of the funny things about uh, Pogacar in this Tour de France his most impressive performance was in a in stage he didn't win uh, in the Alps when he attacked and, and, and showed everybody you know who was actually the, the, the boss in, in, the, in the peloton I mean this attack you know from from afar but 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 you know for unfortunately for Dylan Toons it, it, it gone and, and and he survived the break and and then and the next day the, one, the stage the that Ben O'Connor yeah, won and, as well yeah and, and the next day as well I mean so, so the, these the, these were I think the defining you know feats of Pogacar, and then it's kind of business as usual. I mean, you know, uh, Pogacar winning in the mountains. Uh, we, we, I mean, you you were all in front of your TV sets. Uh, you you were watching the the, the, the finish, and we had three, uh, we had two uh, successive days when, well, in the last two k's, we had the three the, the the same three guys, and well, let's face it, we knew what would happen. You know, Pogacar would win in front, and that's what we said in front of. Vingegaard uh, and Carapaz, and that would be the podium in Paris. There was little more to say. Sometimes great sports feats, you know, the, the, uh, sometimes are beyond the words. I mean, they're, they're, you, 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 you don't know what to say about them because they're so blatantly great that, that, that there isn't very, that there's no real discussion about it because, you know, to, to have some debate and some discussion, you, you need to have some opposition. But unfortunately, for, for you know, the show, unfortunately for us, in a way, uh, Pogacar domination was so so huge in this tour. I mean, t- today he finished eighth, and you, we could t- we could see he, c- he 
kind of took it easy, avoided crashes, and and well, and finish finishing eighth in the in the Tour de France uh, time trial is, is great. And despite finishing eighth, he's, he's still he's still five twenty ahead of Vingegaard. I mean, it, it was once again. What 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 can you say except that exceptional? When Julien Alaphilippe says he's going to win twenty five or twenty six Tour de France, of course, of course, it doesn't mean it, and of course, is you know, it's excessive. But it's it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a you know, it, it expresses what we all feel. Like, like for the time being, uh, you know, Porsche has been so great that you, you can only say, bullshit, which was the case for, for Alaphilippe. So, yeah, I um, sometimes we kind of lost for words to, to say things. What, 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 what can we say? You know? I think what we, what we always want is a, is a good fight and good competition. And that's what made the end of the tour last year so thrilling. Um, the, the last, the last minute twist. We we don't support riders. Um, we don't we don't really celebrate um, necessarily achievements. We 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 look for interest. We look for things that that interest us in the race. Yeah. And, and as as you say, last year was it was such a shocker. You know, yeah. And on the on the penalty penalty made day, everything was overturned. Uh, the, the young rival, the up and coming guy, you know, kind of uh, outthrown, overthrows uh, the, the 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 favorite. This year, whether last day time time, time trial, the, the, none of the positions on the GC changed. I mean, you, you, so the gaps, yeah, evolved a little bit, but everybody kept in this. So it, it's kind of an anticlimax. It um, made it a very curious day, really. Yeah. Um, you know, it, this feels like an almost end of term podcast, and we'll we'll mm. do a similar one probably tomorrow night, but. There was so little at stake today, really. As I said earlier, the, the, the Olympic time trial coming up did add a little bit of intrigue to it, but um, there wasn't there wasn't an awful lot at stake today. I don't know. How do you feel about Pogacar, Mitch? I think, yeah, look, it's... I think, I was, again, same with you guys. I was most impressed early on, especially when Ineos was starting to, you know, put the force on the front. And he... I remember in that stage, I can't remember exactly what stage it was, but he stepped off them... Almost like, are you guys done yet? You know, Tour de France winner, you know, G was on the front giving his all. And, you know, today he just stepped off and went, all right, okay, you've given me your best and I'm going to step away. At that moment there, I was blown away. And from there on, I was in continually impressed, but I wasn't, it was exactly what you said. It was sort of what I expected to happen. Um, for me, I also need to relate to the rider, having not known him, him at all you know i was happy to then go on and celebrate something that happened with rigo you know mm. having a personal connection with him and you know fellow australian writers you know that for me is that connection and that's something that i would get excited about that doesn't take anything away from today Pikachu, but i just don't know him i've got no connection there well let's hear from somebody who does know him and and also from stefan kung Pogacha broke his heart of course at the start of the tour all the way back in Laval at the, the first time trial, stage five. It looked like Kung was going to win um, and Pogacar uh, snatched it away from him. Uh, you spoke to him. We asked him his you know highs and lows from the, the tour and also um, about the, the Pogacar era. Then we'll hear from Dan Martin, who does know Pogacar having been a teammate of his at UAE Team Emirates. And I find what both both of them had to say really interesting. I mean, Kung almost waxing lyrical about Pogacar and his abilities. Um, Dan Martin striking a slightly more kind of not cautious note, but just uh, warning against assuming that we're going to see Pogacar win 25 or 26 <laughs> Tours de France. We're right at the end of the tour. 
I've got a few questions for you. What has been the best moment of this year's Tour de France for you? Hmm. Hard to say, really. I mean, I've come close to the victory, but I haven't won, so cannot say this was it. I don't know. Maybe tomorrow when I reach Paris. <laughs> no, really, I, I really would have loved to, to win a stage here. I've been close quite a few times, and uh, but in the end, it's a tour. Maybe the best thing was I didn't go down. I stayed out of all the trouble, and it's already something in the tour. What's been the worst thing then of this year's Tour de France for you? Oh, the worst thing uh, was for me being in the breakaway on the day to Nîmes, mm. knowing it's going to go all the way to the line and feeling from 20Ks in that you haven't recovered enough <laughs> from the day before. And you're like, man, I have a chance to win today, but my body is not on it today. There is just not enough fuel in the tank. And this, is, uh, this was a, yeah, a bad moment, I can tell you. And then I was like, yeah, maybe you can turn this thing around, you know, drink and eat and you never know, but we all know uh, <laughs> it's not gonna work. And there I, I went so deep, it took me, took me a few days to recover. And just, just after the rest day, I was recovered again. Also my, my masseur, he said, your legs, they were destroyed because I think I had to go like so deep without anything left in the tank, you know. Who is the unsung hero of this year's tour, in your opinion? The hero that we don't know. Yeah, I was impressed by uh, this uh, Franck Bonamour. He was in the break every day or no, it felt like every day, like every day the, the break was going to the line, he was there. And I mean, I, I remember him, I was on the podium when I won the Tour du Doux. It, it's a smaller one-day race in France and he was uh, second or third. And this year he really impressed me, I must say, chapeau to him. And then also Harry Sweeney, he's ah. a guy to watch, he's a guy to watch, honestly. Yeah, he's, he's really strong, I was impressed. Like, first I was like, whoa, who is this kid? And then he was in the break, he was riding really strong. And also the other days, he's, he's one to watch. Nice, Sween dog. Um, last question, Tadej Pogacar is just about to win this year's Tour de France. Is this the new era of Tadej Pogacar? Is, can someone beat him in the next coming years? I think uh, we're all wondering what Remco can do in the future. But honestly, as we saw here, what I'm impressed by is uh, how complete he is as a rider. Like, uh, he can t time trial, he can... He can climb, but he can also sprint, as we saw many times in like small finishes. And he's just so relaxed, like it feels like he's playing. And uh, on this day where he like really ex exploded everyone over uh, Rome and Colombier, he was going like after Wout van Aert, who was trying to get into the break because he didn't want to let him go. And he was like looking around, nobody goes, okay, so I go, da 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 da. And I was like, whoa, man, how can you hold on like this for three weeks? But he did, and yeah, for him, it just, uh, he makes cycling look easy, uh, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> you gonna, gonna have a cold beer on the bus tonight up to Paris? Oh, uh, yeah, I think so, yeah. But then, honestly, I must say, normally you're like, what, Touristan, finally Paris, finally it's all over. And this year's different because my mind is already in Tokyo right now, you know? So, yeah, I will have one beer, but not two. <laughs> what beer is that gonna be? I'll see what the staff prepared for us. I hope <laughs> I hope a Belgium one. The worst is like when they are like, yeah, we have Amstel and Heineken. Then I'm like, mm, no, I'd rather take a sparkling water then. Good answer, well done. Dan, what's been your best moment of this tour? 
No, honestly, the, the obviously the fifth place. Being in the breakaway going Andorra, that was also obviously a big over mine. And uh, but then yeah, been climbing with the best guys on uh, who's already then on Thursday. I mean that was uh, actually had a been a bit had a bit of a head cold the last uh, few days, and especially that morning I woke up feeling like not great, you know. And then the first hour of the race wasn't great, but then I yeah somehow my body just wanted to push and yeah I just really wanted to make the most of that day, you know. It's a climb that I stood on the side of the road in uh, 2003 and watched the tour, and uh, so yeah going back that was the first time I'd been back, and going back there again this year was uh, obviously pretty special. So it wasn't you with the bag in 2003, was it? No, it wasn't. I was just after that. <laughs> um, worst moment of the tour. I think, uh, yeah, stage one, you know, just seeing that, those, that, those huge crashes, you never want to see that, you know, and yeah, cycling's one big family, and that's, like, that's just, that was like a bomb had gone off, it was horrific to see so many guys in pain and, and hurt, you know, and yeah, it's just not something you want to see in cycling. Unsung hero of the tour, who, who should we know about that, who we don't necessarily know about? Probably the guy dressed in the lion suit on the caravan, pretty sure. <laughs> that's a good show. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, that's a tough one. I think all the, all the staff behind there, it's cheesy, but no, but all the staff behind the scenes, you know, they've been, the mechanics are working until 10 o'clock every night, you know, we can, some nights, especially in the Pyrenees, they get into the hotels at 9 o'clock the one night, you know, and, it's, and then they've got to start their job, and it's just, I mean, I think they want everyone, everyone wants to go home more than we do. You guys as well, you guys want to go home more than we do. I thought you were going to say we're the unsung heroes, that's very nice. Um, an, an original answer. Um, finally, Dan. Pogacar is going to win his second tour. Are we in the Pogacar era now, do you think? And do you think we're looking ahead to a, a period of dominance from him? There are obviously other young riders emerging too, but do you think he is beatable over the next few years? In 2019, we said he's in the Stegen Bernal era, you know? It's, uh, it's exciting times for cycling. Hopefully, hopefully we get all these young guys in one race together and it'll be a real showdown, you know? But yeah, for now, I think it's important that we just concentrate on what he's doing at the moment and let, let him enjoy the... Uh, this victory because uh, I think his dominance was a factor of, of circumstance as well. I think obviously the, the race been a week earlier. Like I checked the weather forecast like for next week in the Pyrenees and stuff, and we saw on Von Two how he was suffering in the heat. And if it had been the typical Pyrenean 35 degrees days, it might have been a different race, you know. And the same in the Alps, you know. We've never seen weather like this in the Tour, and and that's that's having been teammates with today. That's weather that he thrives in, you know. So. Yeah, it's. Uh, I said to people, said to a few people before the race, what could stop Taddy from winning this year? And I said the weather. And I was playing to his hands this year. And uh, so, yeah, hopefully we get a, a more normal tour with hopefully less crashes and a normal weather next year. And it'll, uh, yeah, we'll see. When, then we'll see what Taddy can do. Obviously, we'll find out in the Volta as well how he's going to go in the heat. Science in Sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the 2021 Tour de France. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much indeed to Science & Sport, our long-term sponsor since 2016. If you would like 25% off all your Science & Sport products, go to scienceandsport.com and at the checkout, enter the code SISCP25, SISCP25. Still time as well to enter our Science & Sport competition. Guess the winner of Sunday's stage, predict the winner. And if you're successful in your prediction, uh, your name will go into a cycling podcast casket. And uh, if your name's picked out, you'll win £80 worth of Science of Sport goodies. We've all been wearing our Life in the Peloton caskets today. Struggling yeah. on the luft a bit, both of you guys. <laughs> what could we do about it? Is it just the shape of my head? I've got quite a big head. Yeah, he's got to put it on properly. You guys just pulled it all the way or, down. Or not on properly. You mean <laughs> just parts like a... I don't know. It was cool, though. You Looking liked... around the mix zone and just seeing you guys properly branded. 
<laughs> was that a highlight of the tour for you, Mitch? Seeing us wearing your Life in the Peloton caskets. I think so, yeah. Oh, nice. Um, listen, we heard from Dan Martin before the break and uh, Stefan Kung before him. Dan Martin pointing out after we'd finished recording that he thought he had set a new record by riding four grand tours in less than a year, having ridden the, the tour and the Giro and, no, the Vuelta, the tour and the Vuelta and the Giro and the tour all within a year, thanks to COVID, of course. Um, Peo Bilbao did the same. There may be other riders who who did the same, but those two have ridden four grand tours in the last year. He's going to have a bit of a rest now. Um, before we wrap things up for tonight, and I think we're going for dinner somewhere very nice nearby, aren't we, Francois? That's what I heard, yeah. I don't know the place, but it's it's it's, it's in the middle of the vines. Apparently, we're going to walk through the vines, and we've been advised to take our torch we with have. us to to come back. I mean, we'll see. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, it uh, sounds exciting, absolutely. We're going for dinner with Kate Wagner, who was on the podcast course at the start, and Kaylee Fretz from Cycling Tips, and they are on their way there now. So uh, we better wrap things up and get over there. Mm -hmm. uh, but have you got some French culture for us? Please, there is always what? French culture, you know. We're surrounded uh, by yeah. it. The, the, word, the word of the day, I suppose, would be cru, because it's another word you can't pronounce, guys. Cru. 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 It sounds like cru, you know. They, they Well, cru. So cru, well, obviously, uh, we, we, we mentioned that already with beers, you know, grand cru. So in... in in vin, you know, in in wine regions and in vineyards, le cru is is well, is is the vintage. You know, it's what what you produce every year, and you, sometimes it's a grand cru. It's a great vintage, and sometimes it's not a grand cru, so it's a mauvais cru. And we use that in French also for for the Tour de France. You know, Daniel has the little wine uh, glasses. You know, to to kind of classify the quality of a grand tour. I mean, and well, and yeah, and, and we we say very often in French this Tour de France was a grand cru. So it was a great vintage. Cru means lots of other things. It means believed. Believed, you know. Uh, uh, do you do, do you believe in Pogacar? Well, j'y ai cru. I believed in that, but I don't anymore. It also mean means crude. It's the same word, cru, crude. So it's it's a, it's it's a, it's, a, you know, it's a word with lots of meaning. And and if you really want to improve your French, it's, it's, so every morning when you get up, you know, say cru. Cru, cru, and after a while, cru, cru. No, it's not too bad. It's not too bad. Yeah, cru. You could, you couldn't tell which you get in there. You know, you living in France for a for a year now, almost you are you get in there. It's actually cru. exactly a year. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, so I, je n'aurais jamais cru that you would speak French so well. That's uh. <laughs> <laughs> cheese of the day. Uh, it was I, I struggled a bit for the cheese of the day because actually, as I said yesterday, la tome de Bazas is the only. Uh, you know, real Appalachian cheese made in Gironde. But it, there, there is a little, um, well, it's the same as with craft beers. That there's, there's guys, you know, craft uh, cheesemakers making cheese uh, all over France. And, and, and there's a place called La Bergerie de Camillac. Um, well, as, as his name says, it's, it's, well, it's actually in a place called Léoja. Uh, uh, in the Gironde department, and, and, we, and the, the peloton went through Leoja actually today, well, no, yesterday. So, uh, uh, and, and and in this bergerie de Camillac, they, they they do just you know they just do, do cheese without names, but it's, they've well 
just small, you know, uh, uh, sheep cheese. Uh, they have a fromage frais de brebis, so there's a fresh, you know, cheese from, you know, sheep uh, cheese, and that's uh, they sell uh, everywhere. So if you have a chance, you know, to get through Léoja, uh, well, check out the Bergerie de Camaillac and their little, uh, their little sheep cheese that look, well, unfortunately, I didn't have a chance to taste them, but uh, from what I read, the reviews and everything, they, they seem to be very good. And they also make what's un gâteau à la brousse de brebis, it's kind of a cheesecake uh, made from, you know, um, sheep cheese. So, well, check it out. Uh, I'm sure it's excellent. And uh, that's it for the cheese of the day. Saint-Emilion, we were in Saint-Emilion today. I mean, uh, it would take a whole podcast to take about the beauties of Saint-Emilion. Uh, we've been through uh, Saint-Emilion a bit, guys. Uh, an amazing little place. Uh, it's, you know, it's a, it's it's uh, it's rated as a you know, World Heritage Site. We, we saw even more of it this morning on our bikes as we were yeah. na navigating the narrow streets. There was a bit of a few cobbles as well. Good practice for, for Mitch for Pyro Bay in a, couple, in a few weeks. Great little bakery down the bottom that Great little we bakery couldn't turn and away <laughs> and get a croissant. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean, Santé Mignon is, is really a gem. I mean, uh, you know, there's, there's scores of, uh, you know, monuments, uh, rated as, uh, in, you know, as historical monuments, uh, by, by the French culture ministry. Uh, well, as I say, it's a world heritage site because of the vines, but also for the old environment. Uh, and the, the, the most striking monument is probably the monolithic church. Uh, if if you if you come to Saint Emilion to visit the, the the cellars, it's really you know they were they were dug in in there was a cave and from the inside that cave they built the monolithic church and 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 if you go down the, those those cellars they're actually dug in 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 in, the, in stone and it's uh, I mean Saint Emilion is really really a, a place you can't miss if if you come near Bordeaux uh, you really go to visit and of course you know we have to taste the wines so some of the, so some of the wines. In the area are among the most famous red wines in the world, and uh, the, on the on the course of the time trial, the the, the riders went through Pomerol. That's also a very famous, uh, you know, appellation vintage in France. And in 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 Pomerol is the most famous, probably the most famous, and well, one of the most famous because Berg, you know, you've got guys from Burgundy will tell you Burgundy wines are the best in the red wines in the world. Guys from uh, here we'll tell you the um, Bordeaux wines and Saint-Emilion wines or Pomerol wines are the best in the world. Guys from the Côte du Rhône will tell you that Hermitage are the best wines in the world. Uh, well, you know, the, the French are very proud of their wines and their uh, regions, obviously. But anyways, the, the, the guys who are really kind of the... The, the the judges of that and you know there's an American wine taster Robert Parker who is kind of the the, the guru of wine and you know is is Markins is is you know are considered the you know gospel of of uh, for wine lovers and Petrus is one of the chateaus in Pomerol and it, it actually started with kind of modest beginnings in the in the in the beginning of the 20th century and then it it, it grew in reputation more and more uh, to the point that that now i mean petrus is one of the you know most expensive wine in, wines in the world uh it, it's trading for for a new bottle of Petrus, you know the the vintage of the year. You can get a bottle for about eight thousand euros, so that's about you know seven dollars, roughly eight thousand dollars. In Oct in October twenty eleven, New York, a case of nineteen sixty one Petrus. Nineteen sixty one was the best year ever for Bordeaux wine, 
and it was also the best year ever for you know people you know people birth because I was born in 1961 <laughs> so it's, it's obviously a great vintage a, f- a fine vintage and a case of 1961 Petrus won the high speed at Christie's uh, it was sold for a hundred and forty four thousand dollars you know box of uh, 12 case. bottles yeah 12, uh, yeah 12 bottles uh, a price never before achieved for a case of Pomor so you, well this is the sort of uh, you know the vines the, <laughs> the riders were going I mean they, they were actually riding through gold you know <laughs> and, and at least one of them knew that because uh, um, Jasper Stuyven posted on Instagram that if anybody turned up with certain bottles of wine that he listed he would give them his his jersey and his numbers and we saw him riding through the the mix zone with a a, a box of bottles of wine under his arm how so. did he do that did he carry his jersey in the time trial because he good had question. it before he went to the bus then yeah he must have had a spare jersey to put on i didn't notice if it had numbers on it so he must he would have had his time trial on. he must suit. he must have had a or one have of those. a swan bring it yeah maybe. no he, he went back to the i think he went but it was very close to me so i think he went back he discussed with the guys uh the guy brought him his uh the, the, the case of uh wine mm. and he went back to his mini bus because there were there were the buses were at the start but the there were there were kind of minivans i wish the, i'd thought of that offering uh, uh, a, a life in the peloton <laughs> casket yeah, worn once and and and, and so to finish on that on on that note, I mean something that very few people know, but it's interesting to to you know you, you've got all these kind of classifications of wine, especially in this region, Grand Cru, Grand Cru Classé, Premier Cru Classé. That these are kind of gradings of whether the, the the wine is is excellent or just good or you know a little bit less good. And actually, these these kind of appellation, this kind of grading ratings of of wine, the 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 the, 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 the ratings for the Bordeaux wines are made by guys from Burgundy, and the and the ratings for the Burgundy, Burgundy wines are made for, from by people from Bordeaux because it's actually the agriculture the French agriculture ministry that uh, you know gives the, 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 those ratings and to avoid uh, kind of corruption or well you know or friendships or anything uh, they, they, they made sure you know the guys from Burgundy you know vote for the Bordeaux ones and and you know and vice versa uh, from from what I heard you know it's it's it, well it's not very difficult to bribe your, it's your, your not, Burgundy not, friends it's on your board of wine. Not, but yeah. anyway that's the way it's done um if we had to, uh, if I had to name a cyclist of the day, I would go with Jan Ulrich because he won a time trial in Saint Emilion in 1996. Remember, finishing on the podium behind team leader Bjorn Ries. And at the time, remember, a guy called Bernard Hino predicted that Jan Ulrich would win, would be the first rider to win six Tour de France. And yesterday, Eddie Merckx predicted that uh, Tadej Pogacar would be the first rider to win six Tour de France. Uh, well. A point made by by Dan Martin, you know that that a couple of years ago we thought we were on the on the verge of the Bernal era. Mm. So who knows what will happen, Francois? We need to hear from Luke Durbridge as well, don't we, on wine? Absolutely. So uh, I I talked to Luke Durbridge, uh, uh, well, yeah, a couple of days ago. Uh, well, because Mitch told me Luke was a great uh, cycling fan. Oh, cycling fan, obviously. No, he's not bothered great, about cycling. Great, no, he's not bothered about cycling at all. Uh, but uh, well, it, I, we all know he's a great uh, TT specialist, but he's also well, an avid wine fan. And I asked him a few questions about riding in the vines. What, what did you think personally, being a wine fan, when you saw that you had a time trial, which is your thing, in uh, such a famous wine place? Well, it's actually quite uh, common that we do time trials in the wine regions. It's generally the the terrain is quite rolly. You know, you get a bit of flat, bit of 
bit of hills, bit of uh, bit of everything really, bit of wind. So uh, we've done some beautiful time trials throughout the um, throughout the Tour de France, the times that I've done it. Um, and uh, I love racing through the wine regions. You know, uh, one of my favourite uh, regions when we raced through was a couple of years ago when Alaphilippe won the stage in Champagne, and that was uh, that was incredible. So uh, yeah, it's been, in France is obviously wine comes hand in hand, so it's uh, it's nice to see all the different regions. If you do a great TT on uh, on on Saturday, uh, will you treat yourself to a nice bottle of Saint Emilion? Well, every now and then, depends on if we've had a rough day or not. I'll try and have a glass of the local produce. So uh, if I have a good TT or not, I think last stage of the Tour de France for Champs Elysees, I'll I'll definitely have a drop. Mitch told me you you had, you had a wine club in Andorra. How does it work? Oh, just a pretty much a group of friends that we get together and uh, we pick a theme. Uh, could be the cheapest bottle of wine we like or uh, a region that we want to check out um, and everyone buys a bottle and we bring it together and uh, and we, we go through it and uh, and rank it and you know taste it and talk about it and it's just a nice a nice moment actually just to catch up with friends but also just to enjoy some uh, we live in such a great area um, for wine uh, in Spain and France and, and we can sample a lot of different uh, regions so it's just nice that we can all get together and and try out some good drops. So French wine, Spanish wine or Australian wine? <laughs> My favourite? Oh, big one. Um, well, at, at this moment, I'd, I'd still have to say probably uh, Spain for now, just because I know it the best. Um, they have some great, great wine, so I think I'd go with Spain. If, if, you had a, if you had an advice to give, uh, you know, a wine lover, uh, something kind of a little vintage you, you particularly like and you would recommend? Um... Ooh, I'd probably say I'm a big fan of uh, a winery in um, Catalonia called Terra Remota, and um, they they have a good uh, a good blend called uh, Camino. It's just a basic good drop, and they have uh, I think anywhere between 14 and 16 are good, are good vintages, and uh, that's one of my go-to bottles. So yeah, Terra Remota Camino is a good bottle. That was Luke Durbridge on wine, and um, oh, Francois being very lazy because last night we had a guest song of the day. Tonight he's uh, wanting us to to dig dig into the archives and find an old version of of him singing "Red Red Wine." But maybe forty Red Red Wine, yeah. yeah. But maybe maybe you could just do it again, Francois. And Mitch and I can provide moral support, if not backing vocals. Okay. Red, red wine goes to my head, makes me forget that I still need her so. Red, red wine, it's up to you. All I can do, I've done. Memories won't go, memories won't go. I'd have sworn that with time, thoughts of you would leave my head. I was wrong, now I find just one thing makes me forget. Red, red, red wine. Stay close to me Don't let me be alone He's staring upon My blue heart
Oh, that was a winner tonight. Thank you, Francois. There you are. Thank you, Mitch. Cheers, guys. Cheers.